Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Hi, my name's John Carousella, and I'm your host for Convergence on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Convergence is to consciousness as gravity is to the material world. In small amounts, gravity is overwhelmed by every other fundamental force of the universe. But gravity has something nothing else has. It's cumulative. The more matter you collect, the more gravity you get, until it becomes the most powerful force of the material world. I think convergence is like that too. Only in this case, we're working with truth. The more truth we collect, the more convergence we experience. Connections, relationships, resonance of ideas and concepts, science and mysticism. Lately, deep truths just seem to be coming together, even as many of the illusions around us are falling apart. As within, so without. As above, so below. I know I'm feeling it, and I'll bet you are too. For the next 90 minutes, we'll be exploring concepts and topics that in some way or another bring us around to a deeper truth. Join me and my guests for this week's experience of Convergence. Good morning and welcome to Convergence. I'm John Carousella and I'm here to do our weekly roundtable with my co-host, Deb Carousella. Good morning. Mildred Lynn McDonald. Hello. And hi, C. Lutmers. Hello. Uh, and so for today's topic, uh, we're in this interesting space. It's January, so it's kind of the slow, uh, slow and quiet period of the year. Things are starting to come to life a little bit. We've, we're past the solstice and the sun is returning. But it is still winter and kind of the kind of a quiet period. Um, and I, I wanted to bring up for discussion a question of, like, how do you know when to be in the quiet versus when to crank up your energy? You know, there, there are moments in our lives when we have a goal or a project, or it might even be just a way of being that we're holding as important or significant or something that's worthy of our attention. But sometimes the energy just isn't there, or the circumstances aren't really cooperating with what we're trying to accomplish. So when do we say, oh, well, I guess that's not what's happening right now, so I'll leave it. And when do we say, well, I guess I'm not getting very much support or help from circumstances, but I really want to do this, or it's really important to me to do this anyway, even though I don't, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the juice. I, I, I feel like it's important to do anyway. So how do you know when it's time to work hard versus to relax? How do you know when it's, when to push through the resistance or to acquiesce to what is, uh, you know, hold on versus let go, you know, fight for it or walk away? And this is this is a. Uh, I think that we probably find this occurring in our lives in many different ways at many different levels, and I just thought it would be fun to explore that a little bit. So, any any thoughts on that? Um, 
I don't know that I know. I don't. I don't know that I'm con- that I make conscious decisions about these types of things when I find myself in those kinds of circumstances or when events seem to be coming together that way. Um, I I have a tendency to work um, or to to be. Um, I think of it kind of as being blind. Um, I'm I'm not. You know, it's, I'm not disconnected from myself, but what I am is I just am. And um, sometimes I'm a very stubborn, very adamant individual, and I don't care that circumstances aren't lining up and things aren't flowing easily. And I want this, and I want it, and I'm going to keep doing it until I get it done. Um, and I don't think too hard about it. Uh, and then there are other moments when um, I just say, you know what, I don't want to work that hard. I don't. It's not that important to me right now. Or, you know, I've thought about it and I'm just letting this go because the path of least resistance um, seems to be the most logical and and most the thing that I'm attuned to most at the moment. Um, so I don't have a very helpful. Uh, take on this to to really to share with people and to give them you know some kind of an insight or anything i just i allow what is to be most of the time um and unless i'm feeling particularly stubborn and then (laughs) (laughs) and then and i couldn't tell you why certain times or certain things i get um you know a backbone about or i get particularly stubborn about um until it's proven to me that, okay, uh, either I've accomplished it and, all right, great, I, I'm going forward in, in a new direction or what I wanted has happened and I've produced something that I can be happy with and, and comfortable with. Or I just say, okay, well, I just spent X amount of time or effort and whatever busting my head against a wall and eh, that didn't work, so let's do something else now. And when you decide that you're going you're gonna to go for it, do you do you feel a certain way inside your body? Um, Even in the presence of resistance or or yeah. low or low energy. Um, I think so. I think there's there's a um, there's definitely a resolve. There's a and stubborn keeps coming to mind, but that's not really a very good descriptor. Uh, resolve is probably a, a better. Um, there's just a sense of of digging in and and holding and and just holding the line, holding the 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 thing and the truth, the whatever. And um, so there's there's a very strong sense physically. There's a very strong sense of um, determination and and solidity around a particular thing. I like the word resolve. That that feels like it has a, a super, um, a, a very w- well-tuned vibration. It's it's about, um, it's not being stubborn. It's about uh, alignment or something. I, yeah. I don't know. Yes, which is why stubborn is the, is the simple, easy, top-level word. It's not the really deep, descriptive, true word. Um, and so, you know, there are moments that the resolve pays off 
and there are times when you know you 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 didn't get there it just really wasn't meant to be this thing right now and that's at that point it's a okay and i have to be comfortable with the letting go of the time energy effort uh commitment that has been placed into something that didn't actually uh, accomplish or come to fruition and I have to be able to say, okay, fine, and, and allow that to be and not lament it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. How about you? Well, the first thing that I would um, perhaps comment on is the words that Deb was just uh, saying in terms of stubborn versus resolve. And stubborn to me implies that we are forcing something that we're going to do it or make it happen at all costs and we're going to push and force it through even if it's trying to resist at this moment being done. Resolve, on the other hand, seems to acknowledge, like the stubborn reminds me of like hitting your head against a wall kind of thing. And resolve seems to acknowledge that this may be challenging, but it's just giving resistance and I'm there's something to gain by working with and through the resistance. Whereas if it's not going anywhere, resolve says, then I'll come back to this because I can resolve to come back to this rather than be stubborn to try to force and push it through right now just because that's what I want to do or think should happen. Um, and, you know, when you were talking about the the topic and everything, it made me think of, the cycle of the seasons, the cycles of nature, and the cycles of the moon. Um, because, you know, we've just had a full moon in Cancer, which the moon has its natural cycle already and obviously controls the tides of the water. Cancer is also very watery. And so there is that sense of knowing at a deeper level. And if we can attune ourselves, I find it's very helpful if I like do meditation or ritual with the cycles of the season or the cycles of the moon because it reminds me that there is the ebb and flow and that things go out and things come back in and then they go out again. And it's not that we have to force it. It's just that we have to learn to work with that natural rhythm. So I think that you you know when to push through if it may be challenging you but there still seems to be a sense of breakthrough or accomplishment or um, progress or something at some level. And whether that's on an external level or on an internal level, like I, I, I maybe was trying to push through to get my website created with this new software, but even though I didn't get that accomplished, and I'm not going to stay up until 3 a.m. just to get that accomplished for the sake of getting it accomplished, what I can say is there was a breakthrough in terms of me understanding how to work with that software. Mm-hmm. So I knew how to continue doing it rather than just throwing up my hands and giving up because I couldn't figure out where something was or how to do something. I may not have achieved the ultimate goal, but I knew how to continue with what I was doing because something was coming from it, even if it wasn't what I had initially thought would. And the stubbornness would be trying to force it to get to what I thought it should have been rather than being able to accept what has come from it up to that point. And if I pushed harder, I would exhaust myself. I would do damage to myself because like if I stayed up till 3 a.m., I might be too tired for tomorrow and then I wouldn't even come back to work on it or I might get sick or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on the other hand, 
if something seems to not be making progress or not going anywhere, um, then it's also knowing not to try to force it, therefore to let go of it, at least for that moment. We may not give up on it altogether. We can maybe say, I'll come back to this at a different time and see if when I come back to it, I'm able to make progress. If I do that over and over again and I don't make progress, then I need to recognize it's not going anywhere. <laughs> but we don't necessarily have to give up on it on the first time. So, and, so, so for you, it's you. you I, I, I think I'm hearing that if there's some sense of progress, if there's some flow back to you and something that's feeding you, then the resistance, then it's okay to pursue in the presence of resistance. But if it's like a, if you're totally being shut out, then uh, then, then it's time to, to set it aside. Right. And it is honoring what your body is telling you on a physical level, because sometimes it says you're too tired. Therefore, you're not going to think as clearly or you're not going to accomplish this as well. Honor what your body is saying rather than. And that's what I see a lot of people do is they push their bodies and don't know how to, to listen to their bodies because they won't feel well or they'll feel tired, but they'll push through and go to work anyway or something like that. Um, and you had given the example of working on a show and you know, sometimes I think people look at it in the macro way and they only look at the overall thing that they think they needed to accomplish or would accomplish. And sometimes if we can break it down into a smaller part, then just focusing on getting a smaller part done. Like if I was doing a show and I felt like I just couldn't bring myself to, you know, get it all done, maybe I would just focus on doing one segment of it and then repeating a previous segment from another show so that I only felt like, well, I only have a 15 minute segment to create or to deal with rather than a two hour show. Right. It still means that I invested something in it and I did something with it. And usually when you do something like that, you end up getting a lot back from it or you feel very satisfied afterwards because something comes out of it that often is unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Usually people get stuck in that it's all or nothing rather than being able to see that sometimes knowing how to break it up into parts and that sometimes knowing doing a part of it can be just as um, uh, just as much of an accomplishment or just as fulfilling or just as much as what is needed rather than thinking it has to be all or I just don't do anything. That's a really good point, I see. I think the, the idea of um, shifting your perception about what your what needs to be accomplished um, in the presence of resistance um, might be just the just the additional lens that can shift people away from feeling like overwhelmed by the fact that it's not working, quote unquote, it's not working. Um, to well, what part is working? Yeah, it's interesting. That's cool. Thanks, I see. Mildred Lynn, how about you? Well, my take is a little bit different. I really enjoyed listening to what Deb had to say and what Hi-C had to say. Thanks. So thanks for that. Um, for me, it's being present and in the flow. And I find if I experience resistance, where I put it is that I'm simply missing something or I'm not understanding something. So I step back because anything I'm engaged with is like a little dance for me. And if the dance is not working out, it means that I'm either doing the wrong dance or I might not know the steps. So I'm tenacious 
I get that from my mother. Mm -hmm. And I'm disciplined, and I get that from my father. So I don't really go to a place where I look inside and say, well, is there something in terms of my skill sets? Because I know a lot of people do that. They may turn it into them, go back on themselves and say, I'm not. this. I'm experiencing resistance because something might not be quite right or balanced within me. Where simply it could be your experience experiencing resistance because you're not attuned or present with the flow and you're choosing to make it mean one thing. You know, Viktor Frankl said, we all get to choose what we make things mean. And it's it, so it would be an opportunity to step back and to reacquaint yourself with your meaning equation. Um, so that's where I put it. Mm-hmm. And so, so do you do you um, do you choose to proceed in the presence of resistance? I choose not to proceed in the presence of resistance. And but I choose it, to reflect you, in the uh, presence right, of resistance. Right. So you you step back and say, okay, there's resistance here. Um, what am I? What am I missing? Or what don't I understand? What don't I understand? Yeah. And, and I think it's and I think it's important. The way I'm hearing that is just because you don't proceed doesn't mean you're giving up on it altogether. Oh, absolutely not. No, it's just to simply step back. There's something I don't understand or I'm not getting. So giving myself the opportunity, the time, and the space to let that come in because that's available in the flow. And when you were talking about skill sets, it also made me think about how sometimes people won't even take the first step because they'll say, well, I don't know how to do that. And they're they're afraid of failing, of making a mistake, of looking like a fool, like when you're talking about dancing. You know, it's like, well, I don't know how to ballroom dance and I have and I would have two left feet. So I'm not even going to go to a class versus at least allowing ourselves to step into it and see what happens or comes from it, because maybe we need to learn the know-how. And I know I'm using that term differently than how you were originally asking it, John. But, you know, we need to learn the know-how, because once we do that, we will know how. And then we will know whether we want to push ourselves into an Argentinian tango, or if we think that just learning a basic Foxtrot or something. Well, that probably isn't basic, but, um, but <laughs> maybe for you, a simple, more basic thing may be enough to satisfy our what we get from dancing. Yeah. But if we never did it in the first place because we thought, I don't know how, therefore I'm not going to do it at all. Then I think we do ourselves a disservice. So, so I want to just um, go touch this one more time with a very specific um, uh, angle, and that is when you have something that quote-unquote, needs to be done, but your energy level isn't there. You don't have the energy to to bring to that task what needs to, what needs to be brought in order to get it accomplished. What then? For me, I go back to what I just said. And, and, and for you, Mildred Lynn, in that case, it might be that you don't end up getting it done exactly and i get to choose what i make that mean and you get and to i can choose, choose to, mm-hmm. i can choose to make that mean nothing right that's cool very good that's a really good lesson in non-attachment as well because we think we know what needs to be done or when it needs to be done or how it needs to be done and sometimes if that's not organically arising within us or how to do that that may be an indication that it's not the right timing or it's not the right way. 
Um, and that stepping back allows us to, to be quiet enough. And like Miller said, to be present enough to hear or to see something that may indicate a better way or a better time that we weren't seeing because our ego is getting in the way and only seeing it one way. Mm. Um, but I also find that if I have committed to something and I don't feel like it, just showing up oftentimes changes that energy. You'll hear this all the time with people that are in, when people are being trained in meditation. And they'll say, well, but if I meditate every morning at seven in the morning and I had a really late night and I don't feel like getting up, can I skip a morning? And usually a meditation teacher will say, no, still get up and go sit where you meditate, show up. Now you may sit on the cushion and fall asleep, that's fine. But at least you showed up. So you don't break the, what you've trained yourself into doing. You don't break the, the continuous thread of energy mm. that's there. But I also find a lot of times like if I go to a ritual, sometimes there's, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm too tired or I don't really feel like going out to a ritual and making the, the drive or whatever. But usually that is often when I have the most interesting or deep experiences at ritual because a little bit of that tiredness actually makes me more open and receptive. My, my defenses for staying in a place of thinking I know what I need to get out of it versus just kind of being there and letting it wash over me. Yeah suddenly means I'm glad that I made the effort even though I didn't feel like it because it ended up being something that um, was really important or deep or something like that. So how do you choose whether to go or not to go? Usually I look at it and say, but do I need it? Just because I don't want to go doesn't mean I don't need it. So, for example, if it was the ritual, I would look at what time of year is it, what's the ritual uh, intention, what's the, the theme around the ritual. And I may be able to say, you know, what they're doing in that ritual is something I really need. I may not want to go because I don't want to take a shower and get dressed and make the drive and everything else, but I know that I need it. So if the need is there, if I feel that sense, if I have that knowing that there is a need, then I push past what I may want to do or not do because I know that the need is more important. Mm -hmm. If I was just doing it because I wanted to see some friends, but felt like, but you know, I don't need to see them. I just saw them last week. I'm going to see them next Wednesday, whatever. Then, then to me, that says my body or something else deeper in me is saying, maybe this isn't the right time or the right thing to do or to go to. But if there is that sense of need, then to me, that's indicating push through, show up anyway. John, what I do when faced with that situation is I go inside and ask uh, myself, you know, my connection with self, is it in my highest interest to do this or that? And based on the answer I get, I either do it or I don't do it. And if it's in my highest interest, it also means that it's in the highest interest of the flow. Right. And that works for me. Sometimes Mildred goes kicking, the Mildred part of me goes kicking and screaming because it isn't my highest interest to go. And I don't really want to. And, but like he said, once I get there, if I, if it is in alignment, it all works out beautifully. Yeah. Thank you, Mildred Lynn. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Deb, do you have a thought about that? Yeah. I find when I'm in a situation where I feel um, compelled uh, that there's a there's something that I feel that needs to to be done. Um, I, I have to I make a decision probably based upon 
is this something that I feel obligated? Um, is someone else depending on this? Am, am I going to affect someone else or let someone else down? Or if I don't get this done, it is, uh, you know, a problem for someone else. And in those instances, if that's where I, if I feel like I've taken something on and someone else is counting on me, then I make the decision to, uh, typically, I will make the decision to push through. Even if it means I stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning, I then take the personal responsibility that, uh, you know, I will take the consequences. If it may, if it means that I feel sick for, uh, you know, or I, I lower my defenses and I, and I get a cold, um, I accept that and that's where I am and that's what I'm going to do and that was the price that needed to be paid to fulfill my obligation, my commitment. Now, if it's simply something that's for myself alone, then, uh, and, and I'm the only one that would be affected or, or feel, you know, that, that there was some negative consequence of, um, then I have a lot more flexibility. I can decide at that point to just say, you know what? I'm going to accept the consequences of this not getting done and I'll deal with that as it comes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, back to the Mildred Lynn's meaning equation. It's like, right. You get to choose to to decide what that means. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. And I do find that there have been moments when, um, I just haven't wanted, I just haven't felt like I just didn't have the, but I did anyway. And I was glad. Um, as Heisey said, it's like, well, you realize that there was more to this than you had originally anticipated or could have even have thought. Um, and so there you go. And you, and you've gained that. Um, and then there are moments when it's like, yeah, no, I should have just stayed home. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very interesting perspective. Three different takes on this, uh, uh, what to do in the, in the case of resistance or, uh, lack of energy or whatever, when to hold on, when to let go. Um, I think it's useful for, for us to, to think about these kinds of things uh, because we do are confronted by them a lot. Uh, and, you know, how we choose to present ourselves and bring our energy into the world in our day-to-day choices, um, I think it matters a lot. So uh, thanks so much to my co-host, Deb Mildred Lynn and High C. Uh, stay tuned for the rest of the show. It's going to be a good one. Um, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Okay. You're thanks, welcome. John. Bye. 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 At Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest, or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable change makers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E helping you find and shine your inner light. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carasella. So it was just last Monday evening. I was in a bit of a funk. I'm not sure why. 
but it was shaping up to be a beautiful night. The moon was waxing and up. The sky was clear. The temperature was cool, but not too cool. I was feeling, I was feeling somewhat unsettled, I think, because, well, because as I've been through, going through some big changes and they're requiring some deep adjustments. And my Aries nature is anxious to get back into the swing of things. Living alone, cooking my own meals, not having a built-in social formula, it's an adjustment. And these changes have really taken hold only since the new year. With the holidays creating those natural family get-togethers and helping everybody get settled into new situations, I really wasn't into the rhythm of my new life until the first of the year. Now, I'm enjoying it, to be sure, but there are definitely some adjustments to be made, both conscious and subconscious. And, as an Aries, I'm impatient to get that all settled so that I can fully re-engage. But that's not what's available right now. At least that's what it seems. Anyway, in, in my new place, I found a delightful little walk. Down the hill to the unlocked back gate of a local golf course. Evening walks on the golf course have been a, a kind of a little sweet delight. A, a respite and a retreat from the, the suburban gestalt. And a little more aesthetically framed, especially in the moonlight, than just a typical walk in the woods. I think it's something about the open fairways and the way they're dotted with trees. So I've been going down the hill and walking the golf course at night. Now, as I mentioned, I was already feeling a bit peckish and a bit cranky. I was hoping to stir up some company for a nice evening walk. I made a phone call, but got no response. So, off to the golf course alone, I said to myself. And somehow that made me even more cranky because I'd, I'd already walked the golf course a bunch of times, so not having anyone to share it with was going to make it kind of boring. And with all this pent-up energy, it was going to be too short, too. So I started out the door with an attitude. I walked down the hill, under the moonlight. Not a bad night at all, actually. And I got to the back gate of the golf course. And what the... Tonight, there's a chain on the gate, with a lock. Come on, this is bullshit, I said to the universe. Crankier now, miffed, pissed even. And then, I kind of stopped and said, still in a surly kind of way, must be because they have something better in mind. Hopeful, but not optimistic, I walked down a couple of different streets, checking the golf course fence to see if there was another way in. There wasn't. And I didn't even want to go in anyways. I was in this strange place of being denied something that I didn't really think was going to satisfy me, but being pissed off about it anyway. And I thought, geez, this is kind of weird. So I gathered myself and chose a route that I had not yet explored, up a long flight of concrete stairs that would take me back up to the top of the hill, but come out in a different place. What the heck? Let's explore a little, I thought. The stairs took me to a nicely appointed street, and I walked down the street out to the major thoroughfare. I knew that there was a big county park to my left if I headed south. I wasn't sure how far, maybe too far, but I said, okay, what the heck? Might as well. 
it turns out it, it wasn't too far. It was just right. I got to the northern edge of the park, and there was an informal dirt path leading away from the road, down into the swale and deep into the park. I took it. I explored up and down and around that park for a good ninety minutes, reaching its edges a couple of times and hiking up into an old abandoned quarry that was mostly recolonized with local grasses and brush, but still showing some steep cliffs of exposed stone. It was a beautiful walk under the moonlight, exploring terrain I'd not seen before, discovering really cool views and little hidden nooks, walking along the lively, sweetly laughing creek. It was great. I got to the top of the quarry cliffs, the views of Silicon Valley on one side with all the lights, and of the more undeveloped foothills of the Santa Cruz Mountains on the other side, graced by the moon. The views were very beautiful, very powerful. I took my time up there, took some deep breaths, and really enjoyed it. And then I started back. And I realized how much fun it would be to be sharing this experience with someone. And that I wasn't. I was alone. A little dark cloud arrived in my psyche, threatening to blot out the beautiful moonlight. So I stopped on the trail, and, in the middle of a very remote and quiet place, spoke out loud to the divine. Hey, this is great, but I'm feeling kind of lonely here. I would really like to have someone to share this kind of stuff with. Just saying. And I continued on my walk. A beautiful night. I imagined who might be out on a night like tonight. So many people probably never even saw the moon tonight, I thought. What a drag. They're missing out. And I thought about the animals who were living this experience because they, they lived outside. I thought about the squirrels, the mice, the coyotes and cougars, and the birds. And, of course, I thought about owl. And I wished that I could hear some hooting. Within a few minutes, I heard the first hoots. An owl somewhere to my right. Hard to tell exactly where, but off in the distance. Then I heard another owl from a different direction, an answering set of hoots. Almost the same cadence, but two different pitches. One a tenor, the other an alto. Very sweet. First, the tenor. Ooh. Then, the alto. I was delighted. I continued to walk, and they continued to chat, back and forth. At some point I thought, hey, I should take advantage of this opportunity and try to learn to hoot like an owl. Nobody was around to make me self-conscious. So if I wasn't too loud, nobody would know. And if I was loud, but terrible, nobody could pin it on me. So I started to try. The results were not great, in part because it's actually harder to do than you think, but also in part because, because the owls were so present and the space somehow so intimate that I could really hear the nuances of their calls. Mimicking that was pretty challenging, what with not having a beak and all. So every now and again I'd stop, give a call, listen again to their sound, and try again. 
It was fun and playful, and they didn't seem to mind. In fact, they seemed to be getting closer. Eventually, still down in the swale by the creek, I came out of the woods and into a picnic area with tables, restrooms, and barbecue grills. The moon was high, the shadows deep, and the breeze perfect. As I walked, out of the corner of my eye, lit by the moon, I saw a shadow glide across the open ground. Quickly turning my head up and to the left, I caught a glimpse of the large bird disappearing into the trees that ringed the picnic area. Owl! That was so cool. Now, both of the voices were coming from the same place. Up on that little ridge above the picnic area, they now sang together. I sat down at one of the tables and enjoyed the song. How sweet. It was a great scene. After a moment, I got up and started on my way again, and as I walked, a path appeared to my left. It looked like it might lead up the back side of the ridge that these two owls were singing from. How cool! So I turned left and left again and started heading up the trail. Sure enough, the sounds of the owls were still there, and the trail was spiraling up to the ridge top. I got to the top and let my ears guide my feet. I kept imagining being present with owl, embodying owl and owl medicine. I walked slowly, as silently as I could, towards the sounds. And the trail opened up, and there, at the top of a sparsely needled pine tree, were two large shapes silhouetted in the moonlight. First, the tenor. Hoo, hoo, hoo. Then, the alto. Hoo, 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 hoo. What a blessing to hear and see these two enjoying the night together. I gingerly walked to the end of the path, sat down and leaned against the fence, looking up at the tree and the two owls. I tried again to match their sound, gingerly at first, not wanting to disturb them. Then, after a bit, I said, Okay, I'm not doing a very good job of singing like them. Maybe I'll try to just sing like me. And again, quietly, because I didn't want to scare them off, I did. And every so often, I'd re-embody Owl as a spirit and try to re-resonate with the medicine as I knew it. Eventually, I asked for permission to take out my phone and record a little of this magic. I must have sat there for 10 or 15 minutes. And no, they didn't fly away. In fact, first the alto and then the tenor. They flew from their perch about 50 feet from me to the tree immediately above my head. We sang together under the moonlight. I didn't have a human companion to share with that night, but I sure wasn't alone. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Convergence with host John Carousella on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carousella. And with me today, this morning, is Annette Wagner, Annette is a friend of the show. She's been on Convergence before. She's been on A Shamanic Life several times. And the reason I've asked Annette to be with us, to be with me today, is uh, in keeping with the overall theme of today's show, which is um, resistance, I guess. Uh, and the, you know, this this show has been a challenging show for me to put together. And I'm, I've been wrestling with that, um, trying to understand why that might be. And I, I mentioned this to a friend of mine uh, and he said, well, maybe you're having trouble doing convergence because you've stopped converging. And I thought, uh, I need to talk to somebody about that. <laughs> 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 so, so I've invited Annette uh, in to help me explore the, the ebb and flow of energy around um, around pursuing your passion, really, because I'm I am passionate about 
this show and and what I like to bring through this show. But for some reason, it was just it's been it's been real tough this time. And so, what do you make of that? <laughs> and welcome, by the way. Oh, thank you very much, John. I'm very happy to be here. You pose a very interesting question, and one that, uh, as also being a very passionate person, passionate about my life, passionate about the work I do out in the world, um, I definitely understand the theme and the question, because I've been there. In fact, I feel like at some points I'm there right at the moment. Mm. Um, For me, it's this, it always comes back to resonance. Right, right, okay. Because there's something about if you're going to converge at two things, they have to entrain with each other. And that entrainment is all about things coming into resonance with each other before they can converge and go forward. But in my life, so if you will, maybe I'll start a little bit with like a context of kind of what I've been going through for yeah, the past year please. to help do this. So I'm a type A personality who's a refugee from high tech, just like you are. Mm. And... um and it was funny because when I left high tech, I promised myself I was going to take a year off and live and work as an artist. Now, did I do that? Mm-hmm. Did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I went off and got a master's degree. I trained in intentional creativity. I did all kinds of other things. Right. But I didn't actually take the time to slow all the way down Yeah. and stop what I was doing and just be. And so this year, I ended up with this very interesting, or last year, I should say, this interesting set of events where everything I expected to have happen, none of it happened. It was like the energy just fell away from all of it. Yeah, and that, and that was what I was feeling about this month's show. It was like the energy just fell away. And I, did, I just couldn't, I couldn't grapple with that in a way that made any sense. So what did you do? So... At first, I was extremely puzzled about this, and I kept um, falling back into what I used to call my driver self, mm-hmm. this, this side of me where I kept trying to do things. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if I do this, maybe mm-hmm. if I do that. And what happened was the universe and spirit kept basically handing me things where it was very clear that I was supposed to just simply be or feel or be present in the moment. And I didn't quite get it initially. Like I didn't really, well, I didn't really get it until last May when I had 11 animals show up in the course of a week and kind of blow my, (laughs) (laughs) blow my mind with all these little like repeated messages of pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Mm. And then I hopped on an airplane and flew to Paris to go paint with eight other women at the spur of the moment. It, It just was like all of a sudden spirit came in, grabbed my heart and said, okay, we're going on a trip because we need to show you what this is all about. Because you're, we're just a slow learner or what? Uh, (laughs) I think that being a type A personality, the answer to that question is yes. A slow learner at learning how to slow down and stop. And this slowing down and stopping business (laughs) seems, seems, uh, inefficient. In, yes, it does. For those of us who are doers, who are, um, I mean, I'm a highly creative person. If I don't create, I literally go crazy. I have to create, I have to have a creative act in my life every single day. So this idea that I would 
stop doing just absolutely it I don't like the cells in my body just like go, No, I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I suspect you were feeling uh well and it's it was it was the it's a was a really frustrating um the problem was that I I just felt tired. I felt dr- not. I felt like going to sleep a lot. I felt like sleeping, right? Instead of, you know, my normal energy around, you know, w- w- developing a theme and uh, finding the, the, a guest and, you know, cultivating some story that had energy for me. It just there was nothing. And that's the key phrase is had energy for me. If there's something that happens where spirit will say, it's like the message that we need to slow down and shift gears. And it's not just, and for me, it really is not just the slowing down and the stopping, but it's the slowing down and stopping so that you can literally take everything out of the gear, set of gears that it was in and put it into a completely different set of gears. Uh And I remember my painting teacher when I first started, Sue Hoya Sellers, who's this amazing American master who's a feminist, lesbian, separatist curmudgeon who lives in the hills of Northern California and who is just the most amazing painter. And the first thing that she ever said to me when I went to paint with her was after she had me vision painting ocean. And I had never painted ocean before in my life. And she had me pick up the paintbrush in my fingers, look at the tip of the brush, And she said, the only thing you're going to look at is the tip of the brush and where it meets the canvas, because that's where the magic takes place. And as you put the brush onto the canvas, remember, you have all the time in the world. And for somebody who had come out of high tech, who felt like we were always planning forward and we were always like, we always had a plan and we were always letting these things pull us forward and we were always like moving, we were never Stopped. We were always in motion, right? You know this energy. That concept of painting like I had all the time in the world. I mean, even just saying it, you can hear my voice. It was just like, just started slowing down. And that, I think, was the first inkling of what Spirit wanted me to do in the last year. And for me, the last year was also about dropping out of this pattern of behavior I called the driver self. Mm, yeah, which I have dropped away from me. And the new pattern that I moved into is walking in harmony and walking with harmony. And I had to slow down and how, stop. How, how do you, how do you, how did I do it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has their own way of doing it. And I do a lot of like, okay, spirit, you want me to go do this shit? You better come help me. <laughs> And I do have friends and teachers I call on. I ended up doing uh, a personal vision quest. Mm -hmm. But it was the kind of vision quest where I was, it was taking my whole life and saying I was on vision quest. So last um, September on Equinox, I actually sat down and did a a journey and I wrote myself intentions and I said what I was going to do in my vision quest and I wasn't going to do in my vision quest. And just, I drew, I visioned, I painted And I started this vision quest on Equinox, and I ran until solstice of this Mm. last December. And my main thing that I was going to do was I was not going to spend any energy on building a business, scheduling workshops. I, I mean, it was like, if people came to me and said, I have to paint with you, 
I need you to, you know, do this because it's healing work. I need you to, you know, paint with me. I wasn't going to say no. And I did do work during that time. But I basically put everything on that side of my life on halt. And Mm. I just set it aside. And I said, I'm on Vision Quest. And every single day when I wake up, I'm going to start it with a creative act. I'm going to... You know, do my my moving prayers that I do. I'm going to do my journeying that I do. I'm just going to practice being instead of doing. And it was really, really hard. I think I got into the, I mean, I started off with these wonderful intentions and I got about a week into the vision quest and I remember having this moment of total frustration saying, I can't not do for three months. <laughs> yeah. Well, what did you feel? In in that, because so, for me it fe- there's this feeling of, and I've been try- I've been trying to articulate the feeling of what it feels like for me to to not do anything, for me to let go of these things that I attach meaning to, right? And that doing a show has some you know has some meaning to me other than the content of the show. It has some validating function. Mm-hmm. It, it says that I'm useful or something. So for me, what I discovered going through it was that there were layers and layers of feelings that I had to go through. There were the there was the sheer frustration of of, of there were well, actually let me say it this way. So the sense that I know you share with me about this sense of having feeling like I had to do things. Right. What I first thing I found was that I had to separate myself from it. That it there's a way in which we tend to as humans to identify ourselves as our feelings. Like we say, I am angry, I am frustrated. But the reality is we are not our feelings. Feelings are like a river and you can stand in the middle of them or you can go climb out on the bank. And if you have that capacity to climb out on the bank and understand that you are separate of it and make a choice to go in and feel the feeling or step away from it and observe it, you end up with a stronger balance in your life. And what I had to do was I was so strongly connected to this sense of doing was I had to get first, I had to get to a place where I recognized and separated myself to some tiny, tiny bit away from that feeling of doing. Mm. And I could say, oh, I'm feeling frustrated because I'm not doing. Why do I feel frustrated? And then I would peel off a layer and I'd say, well, I'm feeling guilty because I'm not bringing in enough money. Mm. Right. And then there was the whole, you know, that whole Western culture, American thing about you have to make money or you're not successful. And I'd say, oh, okay, that one's there. And then I would say, well, then there was a whole thing that came up around privilege. All right, you're a white woman and you're able to take three months off and not work. That's incredibly privileged and how rude of you to even consider that you can do something like that. And 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 more than, moreover, do that and do nothing. Yes. I mean, it just felt so wrong. And I had to right. just say, and I had to just keep coming back to spirit and saying, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And now, mind you, I was doing stuff. It wasn't like I, I completely stopped. I have a daughter. She's mm-hmm. in sixth grade. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, certain things in your life stop. Right. But there was still this thing. And then there was the fears that came up. So I felt like the whole three months was this process of I'd strip away something 
and then I'd ask what was underneath. And I said to you the other day when we were, you asked me about this, I said, you know, there's a way in which you can do the old practice of asking why seven times. Yeah, mm-hmm. asking why and seven times. There's a certain amount of that that you have to do. And every time you take off a layer and you ask the question, you slow down. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, I can see how that, I can immediately resonate with that. That makes a lot of sense that you, it, it's like um, everything is a symptom of something else. And the further down you go, the more, the less acute the symptom, the cause is for the symptom that you're experiencing. Yeah. And so it it, it's a, it reflects a much broader collection of of influences and energies that are that are influencing you and in order to get a hold of those you have to be you have to be more holistic and you have to slow down in order to do that exactly so what was happening what i what happened for me over the course of the three months was that every time i stripped away a layer it was like i was stripping away noise Mm. and i was able to move and and i didn't i didn't and it wasn't like i recognized all this as i went along it was like i did stuff and i feel like i get off from what my vision quest and I'd go back and I'd read my vision quest plan because I wrote, I put everything on a journal. I always journal these things out and I'd go back. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Let's get back. Let's ground. Let's get back to this. Let's stay in sync with what I'm doing. And I had to keep returning like back to ground and keep returning back to ground. But I realized like about a month or so into it was like, Oh, I am kind of think I'm getting the hang of this. And it feels like there's less noise. Like somehow I am feeling like I'm more in resonance with what needs to happen. Now, mind you, also in the middle of this, I had um, Spirit hand me something that completely surprised me, which was I I had, I basically had something happen where I had a landlord who basically said they were going to raise my rent an exorbitant amount of money, and I ended up having to move. They Mm. wanted to move back into the place I was in. And I live as you do in this wonderful Silicon Valley area where it's, you know, rents are very high and Mm. it's not very easy to find something. And I needed to be in a particular school district. So I had that total moment of absolute panic about whether or not I was going to be able to provide for myself and my daughter and make everything, make all the puzzle pieces come together in a way that was going to work. And you had to do this, you were facing this in the presence of your, the banishment of your driver self. Yes. And, so I went through 24 hours of pure panic, trying to stay grounded in my vision quest and woke up like the next morning and went, oh, duh, don't I have a whole lot of tools for dealing with this? <laughs> <laughs> it was like somebody tapping me on my shoulder, reminding me to go back to. So instead of dropping into my driver's self, instead of thinking I have to do things, what I did was I got out of canvas. And I wrote my intention on the canvas for the kind of home that I wanted to create with my daughter. And I painted it with a very clear set of intentions. And I didn't like paint a house necessarily. What I painted was I painted my daughter and I dancing and sunlight and paintings on the wall and space for a studio and kitty cats around our feet. And I painted the love and the the feeling of energy, wonderful energy and resonance and things that I wanted to have in whatever space we ended up in. Yeah. And the next day, I found a house. Literally, within 24 hours, I had the house that we were going to be in. And the lady even lowered the rent for me. Mm. And it was this huge gift 
from the universe. Not just that I had a house to live in, but this huge gift in the middle of a vision quest that said, I'm on the right track. And it still gives me chills. It was like she just walked in and she said, pay attention. I'm giving you this because you need to pay attention and you need to keep doing your work and you need to keep slowing down. And I was like, okay. So I just kept slowing down and kept slowing down. And, and my driver self, actually what happened was my driver self, one of my teachers asked me this question. And she said, you need to rename her. You need to, re, you need to claim what that gift is. Find out what its true name is and claim it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. mm-hmm. that was when I think I told you about it, that was when I realized her name was Harmony. And she was about bringing harmony to my life so that I have the space to create. But these things, and even now today, I don't feel like I'm entirely done with this process of slowing down and coming into resonance. Really? It feels like I still, it's like I'm a baby. <laughs> yeah. And and you're learning a, a new skill set. You're learning to operate a new body. Yes, exactly. It, it feels like, like I'm, like, Ever since I finished the, the vision quest on the 21st um, of December for solstice, and I've come into this month of January, which has two new moons, so it's a whole m- month of manifesting like what we're going to do this year, right? Mm. I've just felt like if somebody were to ask me like, well, what's your schedule for the year? What workshops are you going to teach? You know, how, what are you, you know, what are you doing this year? It's like I can't answer the question because it's too. I haven't figured out how to articulate enough from the side that wants to just be and the side that wants to follow the flow that spirit's handing me into the side that puts that into a schedule on a website. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, I'm feeling the same thing. You know, I have, I have this, uh, you know, this set of infrastructure that I want to build to facilitate the vision that I want to bring out, you know, the the creative work that I want to do uh, through transformational media like the show and so on. Um, but I just can't get my, I can't, I can't lay it out yet. I, it, it's like the very notion of laying it out sort of pollutes the, it just, it disturbs the, the, the tranquility that I seem to be, needing to cultivate yes there's you know what a, i mean it's like yes. like turning on the driver uh shatters the vision that's exactly how i feel is that there's this um like if you move it all into the driver it it feels like it shatter it's like it's not it just shatters the vision it's like i start to lose the connection with the resonance yeah so one of the things i've been doing it feels very cumbersome but one of the things I've been doing, and probably something that our listeners themselves frequently do, is to just, it's almost like every single thing I do, I stop and I say, is this in resonance? Is this what I need to be doing right now? Mm-hmm. And that's why it feels like baby steps. It's like, don't I know how to do this already? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You think- I mean, I've been walking a spiritual path a lot of years. Hello there. <laughs> um, but it's. But it's that shifting gears thing. It's like it literally feels like I've been pulled out of one thing. I've been moved over to a different system. And I have to figure out how to operate the new system. And it's, it's, Hmm. and I have to operate the system from day one in resonance. Like I can't operate it unless 
I'm in resonance. Does that make sense? It it, it does, and that's the shattering the vision is what I mean by that. Yes. It's like the minute you you apply the force, you basically you drop out of gear in the new the new um, terrain. And you and it and, and all the energy disappears. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. So well, I want to do, you know, it's like, I want to do it because I want to do. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as I try to do because I want to do, I don't want to do it. It's it's the weirdest thing. It's like I don't I don't want to I don't want to engage what I feel like I want to engage when I do it from a place of effort. Well, or. One of the things that one of my teachers said to me was that sometimes you have to wait and see what pulls you forward. And and I I believe that that is a profound um, insight into what I'm experiencing is because if I'm not feeling pulled forward, I don't, I want to take a nap. I just want to sleep instead. Well, and which which is such a foreign. Uh, you know, you used words like guilt. Uh, my words are self-indulgent. I'm like, I feel like such a self-indulgent slug. You know, how how dare you with with all that you've been given and all the privilege that's at your disposal and the means and so on and so forth, sit around like a slug. Mm-hmm. That wonderful critic voice inside of us just wants to like iterate all those old stories. But there is something about, there's a difference between when you engage the driver at least for me, it was like I was I was pushing things. I was making things happen. Mm-hmm. It was like I was creating things. I was making them happen. That whole language has a very interesting metaphor around it. Now, think about being pulled forward. Think about there being a connection to your heart, to the work that you need to do in the world, and that connection is filled with energy that pulls you forward to go do your work in the oh, world. Way easier. Way more, way more ecstatic. Way more ecstatic, but it's very, very different than the other model. So it, of course, makes sense that it's going to take us time to figure out how you get things done in a model where the energy pulls you forward and you let yourself, instead of making something happen, you let it happen around you. Yeah, it feels way different. That just just soaking in that feels it feels really sumptuous, feels luxurious, um, and organic, and not organic in the. It feels I want to use a different word than organic because it does feel organic, but it, it feels um, more sensual. Well, and some of us call this the feminine paradigm. So um, Mary McDonald, Stella Mack, who's one of my teachers and coaches, talks about the feminine paradigm and way of doing business. And it's a very different way of engaging with the world and doing our work in the world because it it's, comes from a place of receiving. Yeah. It doesn't come from a place of... Um, you know, the, the going out and it getting. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it mm-hmm. comes from the open your heart, receive the connection, receive the energy, and then let that pull you forward into what you need to be doing in the world. 
And it's just... It feels very... Uh, at the same time that it feels luxurious and sensuous, it feels... Um, vulnerable. Oh, yeah. Yep. I just wrote a big, long blog post about feeling vulnerable. I completely... Yes. Because <laughs> I you're, think you you're, you're not there. in control. Yeah, you're not, you're not making it happen. So you're depending upon and trusting in something else to precipitate the circumstances that enable you to exercise your gifts and be productive and make your way in the world. That is a... (laughs) And to be vulnerable is to be powerful. That's one of the things that that, um, in the teachings that I follow of female shamanism, one of the things that's very key to that is a woman is in her power when she is vulnerable. When she opens her heart and she's in her vulnerability, she can do anything in the world. And it's one of the hardest things for women in the Western world to learn in a, in a culture where women are attacked or in some way every nine seconds. Mm. Yet it's true. And I, and I feel like that's part of the lesson that I came out of this three-month vision quest with was that I am really being asked to stay in a place of vulnerability and to keep my heart open. And at the same time, I have to be very strong and have a lot of courage to do that. And it's not just from the perspective of being strong and having courage so I can pay my bills, but the being strong and having courage so I can walk into a grocery store and have the eyes of other people, including men, on me and stay open and in my heart. It's that, that everyday lived experience that women have in a culture where they're not always respected. And yet that's, what spirit's asking me to do. And it's like, okay, <laughs> I do yeah. my best. And part of the reason I fell into the driver's self was also because I'm a woman and it was a way of protecting me. And it's like, just letting go of all of that is, it's just, it feels like I'm learning a whole new language. Yeah, it's the language of being comfortable in vulnerability. Yes. It, it, <clears throat> This vulnerability thing, you know, I, I thought I thought that I was uh, somewhat adept at this, and I, I think I am. You know, it, it, at a certain level, I am adept at being willing to be vulnerable because I have a lot of confidence in my in my capacity to make things happen. Mm-hmm. But this is a different kind of vulnerability. This is the kind of vulnerability where you say, "Yeah, I have that those skills, but I'm not going to do anything until something draws me forward." And it's a vulnerability where you say, you open your heart and you say, okay, spirit, I'm available. I'm completely 100% available to whatever it is you want me to do in the world. But what happens if, what, what happens if nothing happens? <laughs> well, you do understand that there's this other thing that goes along with vulnerability. It's called trust. <laughs> it's that full card where you have to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, I guess that is a... That, that is a balancing act of, you know, being responsible to your, to your basic needs, right? For shelter and food and stuff like that, where you you can't, uh, or maybe you can totally relinquish the compulsion to protect all of that. Well, or maybe it's the experience of relinquishing that moves you into the place where you can feel the pull. Oh, boy, that sounds like truth. 
I hate it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that was part of why Spirit wanted me to go do what I did, is I hadn't taken my year off to live and work as an artist. And, I had, and why, and why they dropped the rent increase, got to move, find a house bit, because that was a really vulnerable, practical consideration that you had to then either decide to put your vision quest aside and return to your driver's self to execute on or allow yourself to be vulnerable and feel the pull. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And to be quite honest, it didn't work to like freak out and jump, jump into my driver's self initially because I didn't find any houses. Well, at least not any houses that were close enough to get my daughter to school on time. Right. Because I did have those practical you know, constraints yeah. in there. And so you, so even though it was a very practical consideration, you relaxed into it. I, it was funny. I woke up that morning with this very clear message in my mind that it was like, you need to go to your studio and paint and use the tools that you've been given. Yeah. And I remember I posted it on a, in one of the groups that I'm part of the other artists and creatives that I'm part of, you know, posted it there and said, okay, this is what I did this morning. And, and I had a ton of support and people saying, okay, we're holding space for this to happen. And when I posted the next day, 24 hours later and said, I found a house, they were completely blown away. To them, it was a complete validation that the work we do in the world with our intentional creativity, painting and, and classes works. Miracles do happen. Miracles do happen. I'm still blown away by it. I mean, the painting yeah. is hanging in the living room of the house we're now living in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, yes, I mean, it was a place, a moment of moving completely into vulnerability and just saying, okay, spirit, I'm here. Do with me what you will. And I think I had to experience that. I had yeah. to be in that place. I had to let go of scheduling workshops and all of those things to get to a place where I felt like I had completely stopped and stepped out of like this whole old self. And the whole, all of last fall was about massive clearing out of old patterns. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think the move also fed into that. I mean, I had these visions of, I mean, not only was I packing and I got rid of, oh, I got rid of so much stuff. It was insane. I haven't gotten rid of that much stuff in years. I realized I was carrying around lots of things that people had given me. That were yeah. my burdens. No. Uh, things because I had helped my parents downsize their house. and mm. Things that, you know, my daughter had asked me to hold on to. Things that because I had gotten divorced years ago that somehow just still seemed to be carted around with me. And I just got rid of tons and tons and tons of stuff. And there was something in the middle of it where I remember this vision of standing in a, um, standing in the river, the, it was like a river where it meets the ocean. And there were all these red threads that had been tied to my body and they were all coming loose and they were falling down into the water and they were just flowing down the river and out to the ocean. And the message I was getting was that they all had to go away and I had to let go of all of them. And then in their place would be, would come the ones that needed that, that it was like the ones that were meant to be connected to me and that I was meant to be connected to. And that's part of making space for, um, resonance to come in is you have to clear away. It's like clearing out the noise once again. I had to clear all this stuff out. You know, when I was when I was preparing to leave high tech and, and the, the, the many years that preceded it, I kept saying I'm changing lanes on the freeway 
I'm not actually getting off yet. I'm just changing lanes in preparation for getting off. And, you know, eventually I did get off the freeway. Mm-hmm. But I actually don't think I got I think I got on another one, just like you did, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like I left high tech and immediately went into uh, Firefly Willows and tried to create a, a very significant multi-part, multifaceted business that required tremendous amounts of energy and uh, tending and so on and so forth. Uh, so I actually didn't, I didn't fundamentally change certain aspects of my being, mm-hmm. and I sure as heck didn't stop. Yeah, you know, no. there was no stop sign at the end of the ramp. Nope. I went from one highway to a different kind of highway, but it was still a highway. And the, this this idea of stopping. Stopping? Completely coming to a halt. It's as if the road has come to a dead end, and you're standing looking out into this field, and the first thing you need to do is simply lay down in the field and feel what it like it's like to stop. Oh, you just, I saw that. John just shook his body. <laughs> it, it is, it is a, that is not an easy thing. It's Why? It's not an easy thing. Why is it not? I, it, I don't know. I'm going to have to dig around in it. Oh, yeah, because your body just did a whole shake, like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's a, and, you know, of course, for those of you who listen to the show, you know that I'm not going to let this go and be a dog with a bone here because it, it's very interesting that I have a reaction like that to the kind of grand life permeating stillness. It's one thing to meditate. It's It's one thing to... Uh, take a weekend and go camping. It's another thing to stop the way you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Stopping. And I'm going to have to explore that. Do you think you could do it for 30 days? Oh, 30 days. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Between now and the next show, uh, I could maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not committing. Okay, just so everybody knows I'm not committing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it it, it does feel like uh, clearly I have resistance here. Mm-hmm. Right. So it that is an indication to me that I that there's fruitful work that can be done. Definitely, uh, but it's weird because it's work that you, it's it's work that you you do by not doing. You do by being. It's not not doing. What the universe is asking us to do is to be, to be present in the moment, to simply to feel every cell in your body and just be completely present and just be. To feel. Oh, I imagine this is what Rumi did and. Those ecstatic poets. Oh yes, absolutely. It's it's what people ecstat when they ecstatically danced in the streets. Yeah. When it's that moment, you know, of surrender. Of surrender. It's complete surrender. But it, and it's just it's letting yourself feel every every connection you have to the universe and just be. Okay. This is about all I can take. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it'll be chapter one, and then we're going to need chapter two. <laughs> all right. Well, Annette, thank you very much for uh, coming in and uh, 
helping me sort through some of these uh, currents and eddies and and momentum shifts in my life. And uh, and I'm sure that we'll share more. I am sure we will share more too. I'd be very intrigued to see how this develops for you. All right. And just because your work is important, let's again share with people how they can get in touch with you. You can reach me at my website, which is AnnetteWagnerArt.com. And you can look at, you know, I do actually offer one-on-one painting sessions. I have the Creative Soul Deck for sale and all kinds of other little goodies on my website that you can read my blog post on vulnerability. (laughs) For example. (laughs) All right. Great. Thanks so much again. And uh, we'll be right back. A personal tarot reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Hi-C is a professional tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over 10 years' experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal tarot reading, contact Hi-C at tarotbyhi-c.net or email him at hic at fireflywillows.com. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carousella. So, after recording our roundtable, which you heard at the beginning of the show, I was giving a lot of thought to Mildred Lynn's point about what we choose to make it mean. We do get to give meaning to everything that happens in our lives. I think uh, Marcus Aurelius actually said, uh, life is change, our thoughts give it meaning. It's a very individual choice. And if we don't choose, then we're implicitly choosing to let someone else choose what things mean in our lives. We are, in effect, inheriting meaning from some other structure, our culture or our parental influences or the political power structure that shapes our surroundings. Choosing what meaning to give something turns out it's an act of personal power, of personal sovereignty. Now, rather randomly, as I was creating room for these thoughts, I felt compelled to go for a hike in the middle of the day. Now, I have to confess, the roundtable topic I selected, I selected specifically because I was having a really tough time pulling this show together. You can see that I didn't really have a themed guest this month. Annette Annette was uh, gracious enough to come into the studio and help me bash through a little personal therapy session. But I just wasn't feeling it. I've been tired and unable to bring focused energy to convergence. And that's really weird and unsettling for me because I love this show. So I was having my back and forth argument with myself. I should do a show. Of course I should do a show. But I'm not feeling it, so maybe I shouldn't do a show. No, I should do a show. No, if I'm not feeling it, I shouldn't do a show. When to hold on? When to let go? When to push through resistance? When to acquiesce? I could sense that my energy wasn't there. I was just plain tired. And I could also sense that I didn't want the pressure of having to put something together. The weeks since the December show just seemed to be flying by and I hadn't been inspired. I had no direction or passion for a theme. Why was this? I could make excuses about 
energy being directed elsewhere, big life changes distracting me, etc., etc. But that's not me. And that's not what it felt like. Or maybe to say it differently, those answers weren't satisfying in that they, they felt very facile. They, when I expressed them to myself, they didn't feel wholly true. They felt skimpy and, and spindly and weak. So I explained all that in our meeting prior to recording the roundtable. And Mildred Lynn's comment about choosing to do or not to do is a choice. And then, for me, the more profound choice in what you choose to make it mean. Anyway, there's a point to all this. I, I went for a hike. Back to that magical place where I hiked around in the moonlight and met the owls. I went on the hike to try to integrate what I'd just received in the round table with my puzzlement and resistance to putting this show together. Somewhere along the path, I encountered a hawk feather in the middle of the trail. Now, I've been getting really consistent and frequent messages from hawk. I'll see a hawk literally every time I get on the highway now. Since November, I think I've seen more hawks and more hawks up close than I've seen maybe in my whole life previously. I see them eh, pretty much every 10 minutes or so on a longer drive. And I'll see them when I'm hiking or when I'm sitting outside in a park or by a lake. I've been trying to figure out what Hawk wants from me or what it's trying to say. Classically, traditionally, Hawk represents vision. Now, I've always been the vision guy. Strategic vision, technical vision, my whole high-tech career was driven by my success at seeing what others found difficult to see. I never thought twice about it as a skill because it was really a gift. There was nothing I had to do to make it show up. It was always there as part of my natural state of being. So, why all these hawks? Didn't I already have vision? Well, apparently not. <laughs> or, said differently, apparently not in a fully conscious way. Lately, as I've been asking the question, I've been examining the nature of vision and where and how I do apply it and where and how I don't apply it. It turns out there are a lot of interesting places where I can turn this vision lens onto and see things in remarkably different ways. And that, well, that's a skill that I'm developing. Having the gift is great. Developing the skills to use the gift, that's even better. So, back to the hike. There's a hawk feather in the middle of the trail. In a pile of horse droppings. Welcome to my world, right? What do you make of that? Well, I wasn't sure. <laughs> and still, I'm not completely sure. But here's what I have so far. Hawk represents vision. Horse represents freedom and the power that comes from freedom and the freedom that comes from power. My first immediate connection was that Hawk was asking me to see that I was yearning for freedom. The horse just runs wherever it wants to. Wild horses are free. No production deadlines, no air dates, no guest interviews to schedule. It dawned on me that I haven't really been free, totally free, since childhood. 
I got married right out of college and started my life with Debbie at the same time as I started my career in high tech. Obligations in all areas. The need to generate income, to support others, to succeed in my career. Our children came along pretty quickly too, so my vibration has been tuned to supporting others through my efforts, and that comes with an obligation to be there and to produce. Horses? Don't do that. They run. The grass is there, and that's all they need. Fresh grass and room to run. And they're powerful enough, big enough, strong enough that you don't really have much of an effect on them if you try to get in their way. So it struck me pretty quickly and pretty deeply that my struggle with pulling the show together had something to do with wanting to experience that deep, wild, visceral sense of freedom. I think this is what Annette's stop at the end of the road and lie down in the field experience might be for me. It's an experience of total freedom from obligation to produce. And as she said, maybe you have to stop trying in order to feel the pull of your heart. I'm sensing that maybe that pull is embodied, at least in the moment, for me, in the word freedom. That was a huge breakthrough, actually. Now, now I have some context for the resistance. A way more profound answer than, oh, you're tired from this big life change that you're going through. And then I thought, okay, but this hawk feather, it's also in the manure. <laughs> what does that mean? So I turned my vision there. Not so expertly this time, I think. But so what does manure mean? Well, mm, it's compost. My first and clearly optimistic reading was that it's compost. It's fertile. So there's something about the hawk feather being in the manure that speaks to a moment of potential being nurtured. It's also the leftovers. The undigested, undigestible leftovers from the process of living. In this case, for the horse, the process of living a life of power and freedom. And that's when I knew I was going to be able to put a show together. The leftover, undigestible parts of my experience of attempting to live a life of power and freedom were fertile ground for exercising my new emerging vision and sharing it with you. So you could say this show is the horse pucky show. Or you could say that this is the fertile ground for new vision show. One thing is for sure, my energy around producing it is back and I'm glad to be here. It's amazing what happens when we're willing to slow down and listen, take responsibility for our choices, and choose what to make them mean. So, that's our show for this month. The show that almost wasn't and ended up being a show about not wanting to do a show and figuring out why and letting it come together without a plan. <laughs> now, maybe in a month or two, I'll be better at this less planned, more receptive style of production. And maybe, undoubtedly, I'll learn other lessons along the way. If you have suggestions, 
I'd love to hear them. Join us on the Firefly Willows Facebook page and share your thoughts and comments. Meanwhile, wish me luck. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for our live on-air call-in show, Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m.